What's up, Bitch Talkers? This is episode 242 of the Bitch Talk podcast. This is Captain Party currently driving the ship. We have a really exciting episode today. Uh, She's running for lieutenant governor. Her name is Gail McLaughlin. She was currently mayor of Richmond. She transformed the city. Uh, She has so much to say, and she's exactly what we need right now in the current state of this country. Uh, So we're really excited to share that interview with you. But as always, please don't forget to visit our website if you want to look at our beautiful faces. That's bitchtalkpodcast.com. Or you can reach us at Twitter and you can see everything that Aaron is upset about. That's at bitchtalkpod. For Facebook or Instagram at bitchtalkpodcast. If you really want to talk to us, we are extremely lonely. You can email us at therealbtpod at gmail.com. Don't forget to reach out because we love hearing from you and we love hearing your input. All right, formalities aside, please enjoy our interview with Gail McLaughlin. Hello, Bitch Talkers, episode 242 of the Bitch Talk podcast. Thank you so much for listening and Happy New Year. This is a very special interview that we've been trying to put together for a few weeks. We finally have her here. Her name's Gail McLaughlin. She's running for Lieutenant Governor of California. And this is a this is huge for us because we've been talking about women in politics for the last, I don't know, year, <laughs> two at years. At least, at least, yeah. Because <laughs> it's very important that uh, we run and we're represented. But mm-hmm. um, Angie and I did a lot of digging, so we're just going to ask you some questions and feel free to say whatever you want. It is a podcast. You can swear if you'd like, <laughs> or you don't have to. I know you're running for uh, public office, so. Um, but maybe set us up a little bit and tell us about uh, your blue-collar upbringing in Chicago. Sure, yeah. So I was born in Chicago and uh, to a family uh, with a union carpenter father, mm-hmm. and my mother worked in a factory for a while, mostly uh, was a housewife, though, most of the time when I grew up, and went to school in Chicago, and then went to high school. They kind of bust us to Park Ridge, which was a suburb, and um, I ended up going to various colleges after that uh, in Illinois, ended up at University of Illinois in Champaign-Urbana for a while, then dropped out then during the anti-war movement around Vietnam. Mm -hmm. And also, um, you know, people were getting into the counterculture and such, and it was, you know, tune tune in and drop out you know? yeah. and I said okay mm-hmm. <laughs> you were in <laughs> right, right. <laughs> but I did go back to school um in my 40s and uh-huh. finished my undergraduate degree in psychology and went on to do graduate work in psychology and then when I came out here in California in the mid 90s I did um work in uh, graduate work in education as well wow. so yeah so I had a lot of education a lot of and then, you know, during a, a number of years, 80s and 90s, I lived in Chicago and worked for various nonprofits like the American Library Association and such, and really enjoyed being, you know, living in Chicago and being in the midst of a big city. But um, at a certain point, I really wanted to um, go someplace else. And San Francisco actually called me and uh, I decided, you know, I had a friend out here that did theater work mm. and I um, decided to head west. And after that, I um, found my, met my husband and oh. found my way to Richmond. Okay. And so that's in a nutshell, you know, and I, I think my upbringing from a union family and a blue collar working class family, you know, struggling, mm-hmm. you know, making ends meet, but you know, it's always, it was always hard. I have four sisters. 
um, two older and two younger, and uh, and you know, so from an all girl family, you know, so my <laughs> yes, too. When I read that about you, yeah, so you're in the middle of yes. four of uh, five girls. I'm right. at the end of five oh, girls. Okay. Yeah, so that was like yes, <laughs> awesome. Right, right, yeah. that, I think they make you tougher than brothers. I don't know. <laughs> oh so, yeah, <laughs> like that's some thick skin you got to have to have that many sisters. You do, you do. There's always these little hassles and tussles and competition. Well, it's the, more the mind thing, right? Yeah. Like maybe you're not. A strong wrestler, as if he uh-huh. had four That's brothers. Right. That's right. But I can, I, I'm strong willed. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> and you can't hurt my feelings. Okay. Just try. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's, right. good. That's good to hear. I, I've learned on that uh, score. Uh, I would say being in office uh, in <laughs> yes. Richmond, you learn how to let things roll off your back. Yeah. And uh, especially when you're up against, you know, big corporations like Chevron or is attacking you, you, you have to, at first, you start saying, what's happening? And then you realize that, hey, you know, this is what you got to expect when you stand up to these big corporations mm-hmm. who don't have, you know, they just have their own profits, you know, in, in mind. And I had a lot of support, so it was easy to learn that process of letting things roll off your back. <laughs> and one more thing I want to ask you about uh, when your upbringing. You never ran for office in for, in school, nothing? No, no. Okay. I, I was a, uh, an activist, uh-huh. though, um, my whole adult life, really. Mm-hmm. And you know, even though I had various jobs um, and taught for a while as well and uh, tutored, uh, but I always had my activism going on simultaneously as mm-hmm. a volunteer social justice activist. I really didn't get that much into environmental uh, activism until I came out to California. And right. then my husband had already been involved in, um, and had an environmental consciousness, and I learned pretty quick that, you know, there's some real important stuff you got to know about our environment. So, mm-hmm. uh, but the activism was, and it's still something that I hold so much, uh, hold high in terms of my identity, mm-hmm. you know. And even in office, you know, I was considered the activist mayor, the activist council member. And I expect if I'm elected, I'll be the activist lieutenant governor. Right. So, because that's, to me, that's what it takes to change things, to be active. Right. So, do you think it was like a long line of, all these issues that you really wanted to help help with that caused you to finally say, okay, I'm going to run for office? Or was it when you moved to Richmond, you saw all these things going on, and you're like, I, I need to be a greater part of this? What was it? What was that catalyst? Well, first of all, I I wasn't, I never thought about running for office. So I wasn't somebody who came up, you know, came of age thinking, oh, gee, I'd really like to get into this kind of work. Um, what happened was, when I when I came to Richmond, I things were happening in terms of Ralph Nader running for office mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Peter Cameo had been running for governor. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I actually knew Peter from years ago, back when I was 20, 21, from some of the social justice work he did uh, at that time. So I didn't really know him that well, but I, I had met him. And and when I heard that he was a member of the Green Party and running for office and he was encouraging people to get involved on a local level, you know, to join the Green Party and become an activist on a local level. So I, you know, went uh, to my computer and I Googled Richmond Greens and up came, you know, a website about <laughs> Richmond Greens. And I, I reached out to a few people, joined the uh 
the effort underway, was, which was mainly standing up to Chevron. But not only that, we were reaching out to address homelessness mm-hmm. and, and other issues and, you know, health issues. Of course, Chevron and health issues go hand in hand. Right, right. Which, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. So I would say um, that was, uh, it, it was, that kept me active on a local level because previous to that, it was anti-war work mm-hmm. or anti-racism, anti-sexism. But to really work in your own community, it started in Richmond for me. And at a certain point, it was clear to us, the activist community in Richmond, that we needed people sitting at the dais because activists, you know, are out there making, you know, a lot of noise and, you know, coming up with good ideas. But the city council was in the hands of Chevron. So they weren't listening to Mm -hmm. us. They were doing their own thing. And, you know, they'd listen to you when you spoke at the podium for a council meeting. And then they'd vote whichever way they wanted to. Mm -hmm. So we formed this Richmond Progressive Alliance. Mm -hmm. And we came together based on our our progressive values. Some were Green Party members. Some were progressive Right, it was nonpartisan. And I think that's important, too. It really is. It really, that was a key thing. And um, the purpose was to build a local movement, um, you know, based on progressive values, but also to run corporate-free candidates for local office. Which is important. That's right. Mm -hmm. That's right. And so I was one of the first to run, myself and Andre Soto, and I I won, so I became the first uh, corporate-free elected council member, and then later the first elected corporate-free mayor in Richmond. So that's kind of how it started, never thinking about running. <laughs> Somebody said, Gail, you know, you'd be, you'd do good in this. And I'd, I don't think so. I don't, you wow. know. And they said, oh, all you have to do, I remember, you know, all you have to do is press the button, you know, and you know how to press the right buttons for the right issues. And <laughs> you know where you stand. And I said, of course, yeah, I know where I stand. But you know, I could press the button, you know, but of course it's a lot more than that. You have to, you know, you, you really use the microphone and the bully pulpit to mobilize the community. You have a lot of research and homework to do, but I learned as I went and I'm very, very glad I did because it's been so rewarding. And how was standing up to Chevron and, and big corporate entities like that, especially mm-hmm. running for mayor in their city? Yeah, yeah. So it was, I'll tell you, standing up to these big entities, these big corporate entities, really wasn't that hard. Because to me, I knew coming from that working class background and being a working class person my whole life, I knew I had already had a consciousness that, you know, there's this corporations exploit people for profit. You know, they think only of their profit. And, you know, here we are, your average working class people trying to make ends meet, just get a decent wage. And they're out to make their fortunes and billions. And so I thought, you know, I know there's injustice in this. Mm -hmm. So putting out that message came pretty easy. Um, You know, when they come back at you and try and insult you and during campaigns that you know put out lies about you that was that was you know something I had to get used to and and toughen up um about but I think that initial stand and I was never going to veer away from standing up for the rights of people um opposed to corporate entities so you know, I think they got to know who I was. Uh, doesn't stop them from attacking me, but at least I know who I am. They know who I am, and I know what to expect. Mm-hmm. And the more progress a city makes in standing up to those big developers, big corporations, the more they 
come back at you. So we kind of grew to expect, you know, hey, it's a good thing that they're attacking us. That means they're threatened. They're scared. That's exactly. right. That's yeah. right. And and we just keep building our movement, knowing that that's, that's our strength. Right. Well, it, it's interesting, too, because so you ran for both terms as mayor and won. Mm-hmm. And then uh-huh. in 2014, you, you ran again to go back into city council. Right. And Chevron spent millions of dollars mm-hmm. to fight against you. And this is in Richmond. This is right. a major bustling Los Angeles. Not, I mean, Richmond is a beautiful city, yeah. but they spent millions of dollars to fight. Mm-hmm. How did you How did you win? Right. Well, first of all, they you're right. They spent $3.5 million in a city the size of <laughs> Richmond, which is about 110,000 people. That's mm-hmm. a relatively small city. And that mm-hmm. they spent, right. the, I mean, they don't spend often that much for a congressional race. Right. But they were really wanted, to, they really wanted to stop us. And when they saw, they thought I was going to go away after I termed out as mayor. But when I decided to run for council to keep the work going, they're like, oh, well, we've got to <laughs> keep keep our attack going. And so they attacked not only me, but it was pretty heavily on me. They bought up all the bill, the billboards in the town, in the city. In fact, they bought up billboards in Berkeley. So when people came home on the freeway, could um, they those, could yeah. see the signs. And uh you know, attacking me, telling lies about me. But it wasn't only me. It was Jovanka Beckles, who was uh, running for re-election, mm. and um, Eduardo Martinez, who was running for his first time in office. And all three of us won. And all the wow. Chevron-funded fa- candidates lost. Wow. So wow. it was really, we showed, by that time, the RPA, the Richmond Progressive mm-hmm. Alliance, had been in existence when we started in 2003, so a little over a decade in 2014. I had been mayor for eight years. You know, I had organized with the community, set a new tone for the city. The community liked what was happening. We had reduced crime dramatically, mm-hmm. 75% reduction in homicides. Um, people were, were uh, you know, seeing a, a new Richmond or a better Richmond. You helped so, a lot during the mortgage crisis as well, right. which I want to, right. yeah, sure, I mean, that's sure. Definitely that needs a, to be mentioned. Not only did you fight Chevron, you're fighting the banks. Huge banks. You're Yes. Yeah. Right. Right. So, I would say that yeah, the the big bank fight that we took on it was a a really innovative innovative foreclosure prevention program. What it was was we were seeking to acquire uh, underwater mortgages because in Richmond half of the mortgages were underwater during the height of the Great Recession. Mm -hmm. And we wanted the big banks to reduce the principles in line with the current home values at the time because it was, you know, so outrageous. Homes were, the mortgages were for four hundred, five hundred thousand, and the home was only worth at that point a hundred thousand, a hundred and fifty. So we said let's reduce it. And the banks were unwilling. So we said, well sell the you know, sell it to us voluntarily. We'll purchase these mortgages. The city, that is, and we had a partner, a private partner right. that was willing San Francisco to help firm, us. Correct. Um, I don't know if they were San Francisco or Berkeley. Okay. They were called um, mortgage partners or something. Yeah. But I was happy to see that there was a partner yeah, for you guys. There yeah. was. Yeah, it wasn't going to cost the city anything. Mm-hmm. And so mm. we were reaching out saying, you know, if you sell them to us, we will we will purchase them and reduce the principles, and you know, give them give the mortgage back to the homeowner now with a smaller more, uh, principal and smaller monthly payment so they can not face foreclosure and can continue to live in our community. And they said no. And we said, well, if you're not going to do it, if you won't fix the, this problem yourself, right. and if you won't let us fix it, 
well, we're going to take that those mortgages by eminent domain mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because eminent domain, not the homes, just the mortgages. The homeowner stays in their home. Right, right. And um, for eminent domain, you can utilize it, a city can utilize it or any government entity for any public purpose. And there was a public purpose here. I mean, yes, to help our homeowners first and foremost, but also to stabilize our neighborhoods so we wouldn't have all these vacant buildings mm-hmm. with foreclosures, which, you know, is blight and causes, attracts crime and all that. So we had lawyers telling us this is perfectly valid, you know. And so we were ready to, to do this and trying to get other cities to join us. In fact, uh, John Avalos, who was uh, on the San Francisco Board Mm -hmm. of Supervisors at the time, was excited and tried to get San Francisco to join. Mm -hmm. Um, Cities would pass resolutions, including San Francisco, saying, we support Richmond in doing this, but they weren't joining the program themselves. Mm So we were kind of a lone lone voice in all this. Ultimately, what happened, and the reason other cities were afraid is because Wall Street lobbyists were getting to them and telling them, oh, we're going to not give um, mortgages to your your residents. And, you know, we said, no, 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 that's that's redlining. And they, they threatened that in Richmond, too. And ultimately, they went to Congress, Wall Street did. And uh, Congress uh, passed a bill at the end of 2014 that said any mortgages that are acquired by a public entity through eminent domain cannot get government insurance. And mortgages Mm. need to be insured. Mm -hmm. So it really set the program, you know, in in put we had to put it in the background but it was successful in that because we raised such a um you know we really publicized this and it championed it nationwide um wall street was scared and they actually did voluntarily reduce some of the principles on their own because of the pressure they felt. So in that regard, it was successful. It got a little bit, um, they moved more in the direction that we would have wanted them to, you know, in a greater, to a greater degree. But, you know, we still have that in our back pocket. And, you know, if and we never know, and we kind of expect things to say, go, yeah. we don't know what's going to happen. <laughs> right, right, go south day, again. these days, yeah. So, yeah, so that's a, a tool we might resurrect at some point. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I have a question kind of about the, the I don't know, the background of, of running for office, because mm-hmm. Angie and I do talk a lot about women running for office yeah. or just, you know, normal Joe Schmo running for office. Mm-hmm. What does that look like uh-huh. running for mayor or running for lieutenant governor? Sure. Because sure. we're here like, you know, do it, do it, do it. But yeah. I don't know. I don't know the tools right, to give right. you to actually do it. Well, I always say, you know, and, if you're going to run, you should run corporate free first and foremost, right. you know, mm-hmm. because we need to recognize that that elections uh, and our democracy is for people. You know, private industry, private businesses, they operate in their own world and for pro- for their bottom line and all that. You know, they exist in our society, but they shouldn't be taking over our democracy. So mm-hmm. we have to really um, make that clear. And that's what uh, the RPA did. We and I, I am going this route because um, this is what I'm sharing with people up and down the state of California when they want to run for office. And I'm encouraging 
uh, people to run for their local city council and school boards or any office. And I'm saying do it corporate free and do it by building an organization, a progressive alliance like the RPA. So that's so to share just briefly how we did it. Mm-hmm. We came together as the organization um, in, is inclusive, diverse, corporate free, progressive. And it's a year round organization, not just in election years. So we came together uh, to build this organization. And we also uh, ran candidates for office. So it's it's kind of a uh, reciprocity type relationship between the candidate and the organization. The organization supports the candidate. The candidate supports and helps build the organization. And then when elected, the same thing happens. The elected official keeps building the organization, as do the community leaders, and they also support the elected official. So you have that community support. You brainstorm. You come up with ideas. During an election... Um, what you need to do is have the tools, whether it's, first of all, you have to go door to door and you want to get your uh, voter registration list from the county mm. and, you know, know which homes you want to see, you know, if you're going to stop at every home. Well, you could stop at every home and we've sometimes d- done that, but other times you'll just stop at the registered voters homes. Mm-hmm. You get a, mm-hmm. some literature and you, you know, talk to people, explain who you are what we did in the RPA, our, one of the first things we did was hold forums. for the. Now, we were activists. We had groups we were in touch with. Most people who have a political consciousness are in touch with various activist groups. So you, you know, st- You create a forum, and you really spread the word far and wide. Our first forum was called A Dialogue on Richmond. Hmm. And you introduce the candidates. I was introduced. Andres was introduced. We had a chance to tell a little bit about ourselves. And then we heard from the community. You know, we had community leaders scheduled in the program, but then we also had an open forum. What are your issues? What do you want to see change in Richmond? And so we had that forum, and then we had uh, another forum. We uh, Dennis Kucinich was actually running, I and remember. so yeah, oh, Dennis. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So he he came to Richmond, um, and we jointly sponsored um, a forum where I spoke. Um, and Andre spoke uh, along with Dennis Kucinich, and we had a we had a full house. Got some yard signs, you know. You 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 do your fundraising, your your phone calls, making sure that people understand. You take no corporate money. People's eyes started opening up when they learned that hey, this is something new in Richmond. There's a new organization and new types of candidates. They were used to Chevron, you know, mm-hmm. funding all the candidates. And then what we did in the summer, late summer of the election year 2004 was hold a people's convention. Hmm. And we did this with um, SEIU, the um, mm-hmm. City Employees General Union, and with some community groups like ACE, the Alliance of Californians for Community Empowerment, and a few other, some of the uh, environmental groups. And we, uh, again, we heard from the community. The candidates had a chance to say a few words. And we had like butcher paper with um, various issues and then the candidates would, you know, share what they where they stood on the issues, and actually some of the non corp or the corporate candidates came to the forum as well, which mm-hmm. was fine because we wanted them to say where they stood on right. the issues. Right. Yeah. So you know that was those were some of the ways you know just to really get ourselves out in the community and get our names out and. 
the the key is really building authentic relationships Mm -hmm. within the constituency that you want to serve and working as an organization, you know, with the organization, not, you know, recognizing that it's you're not in this as a corporate free elected or candidate to separate yourself. You're not going to be elected to join a whole new class of people called elected officials. You're, you'd be, right, you'd be surprised young. watching television every day. That's exactly it looks really what, different in D.C. Well, that's exactly what, what happens with too many, but not in, in our case and not in the case of what I would say are true progressives running in various places. Right, and I, I think that's the biggest issue now is people are so tuned out because they're like, oh, a politician is a politician. Mm-hmm. If they're right. not corrupt now, once they get elected they will be Mm -hmm. and I think that that's a beautiful way to show them look we're not taking this money they're not in our pockets we're here for you that's right but it's uh, it's harder because you have to keep moving yeah you're working harder for it you are (laughs) but that's the the greatest way to show that you're not you're not part of this machine right and you know it's uplifting because I think we all know we're in critical times right now we're in catastrophic times Mm -hmm. and you know so when I to to segue just a little bit toward this lieutenant governor race which really is similar because I'm running it in the same way except it's much bigger it's the whole state of California but it's you know, when you think of yourself isolated whether you're isolated as an activist or you're um, I, I shouldn't say it that way if you consider yourself an you know too strong of a separate individual. I think we all have our individuality, but if you don't recognize that we're also part of something bigger than ourselves, Mm -hmm. it can be isolating. So whether you're an activist or an elected official or a candidate, the idea of connecting with others and building those sisterly and brotherly relationships and solidarity with others that are like-minded is really uplifting. So the fact that I'm you know, really reaching out to the community now and that I did in Richmond um, is something that I've grown to really need, I would say, because it mm-hmm. it lifts my spirits. And I hope that I have some inspiring um, effect on others as well. And uh, as I encourage them to build a progressive alliance in their community and run for office, uh, I, I see the wheels turning in people's heads and saying, oh, we could do if they could do it in Richmond under the money might of Chevron, you know, we could do it in, you know, uh, wherever in in San Jose or, mm-hmm. you know, there's a now a, a South Bay Progressive Alliance or in San Diego. There's a San Diego Progressive Alliance. Wow. There's like <laughs> six or seven that have sprung up. Wow. So that's that's gives me um, I guess it just it gives me comfort as well it's hard work yes yeah, there's it's no very hard. question about that but it's also comforting in knowing that i'm not doing something so individualistic that i'm building a wall around myself or that i'm going into this new class of elected officials and they will for anybody who might be thinking of running for office as a true progressive corporate free expect to try and be co-opted by the establishment elected mm-hmm. officials. They want you to join their club when you get elected. And you have to you know, be pleasant and, and you know just very cordial. But you have to know that your club is with the community. Right. right. You know? Yeah. So, how do you mm-hmm. even play that game? I just, I don't <laughs> even know how you do that. It's It was tough. But especially in closed sessions, you have executive sessions. You're there with all these establishment, you know, 
uh, elected officials. And it was kind of intimidating at first, but I, I just learned how to just, you know, hear what they had to say and then give my perspective, which was often different. And then when you're in open session city council meetings, you have the public there and you could have your co-activists coming up and speaking at the podium so you don't feel so alone. So, mm-hmm. yeah. And this is what's really refreshing about, I think, your campaign. And I want you to talk more about um, the lieutenant governor race. It seems like you're very open to um, learning and growing throughout mm-hmm. this because it oh, seems yeah. like a lot of politicians are very, you know, mm-hmm. by the book, we know what we're doing. It's always worked for us. And, right. and that's kind of not yeah. what you're doing. You know what yeah. you're doing, yeah. but you're still learning and growing. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I, you know, you learn every, every day and, you know, every campaign brings forward and every, I would say every, every era, you know, we're in mm. every decade, every period of time has new challenges. Like right now, we're in this horrendous mm. affordable housing crunch you know, or lack of affordable housing mm-hmm. situation. Oh, but we're building it. We're building affordable <laughs> housing. <laughs> right, 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 right. Sorry, we both right, live the, in the city. Yeah. And it's... Oh, okay, so you guys know. It's, yes. it's San Francisco <laughs> is, is just so outrageous. And, you know, the Bay Area is outrageous. It is. Yeah, that's yeah. why we put rent. We were able to pass the first new rent control law in California in 30 years in Richmond. Mm-hmm. And we did that by going door to door and talking to people and saying we it's spreading to Richmond. You know, people came from San Francisco who haven't been able to live there or came, you know, came. Then they went to Oakland and then they couldn't live in Oakland because mm-hmm. Oakland started gentrifying. Mm-hmm. And so let's try and keep our neighborhoods as stable as possible. So um, that's that's what we did. And um, that was uh, one tool. I mean, we there's many, many other tools. And I, I forgot kind of where you were going with Just the saying question. you were you were mm-hmm. learning. You're learning and growing oh, yes, throughout yeah. throughout Ab- all of this. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. You know, I I I just filled out an application for um, endorsement from the Sierra Club. I've always been endorsed by the Sierra Club. Mm-hmm. Well, just this past the morning, I was filling out uh, the questionnaire for the Sierra Club. And there were questions in it that I, I didn't know about. And I hmm. was researching and learning, and I learned a lot just by filling out their questionnaire. So my, my view in terms of um, how to become the best possible candidate and the best possible elected official is to have that ability and desire to keep growing and to learn from the community. We have community experts in environmentalism, in affordable housing, in, you know, so many issues, single payer, healthcare, Mm. and you got to learn. I mean, no one person could be an expert on everything. And when you're an elected official, you have your tentacles on, you know, out there in so many issues, you really need to listen to the community experts, the environmental experts. And so, you know, that's what I did as mayor. That's what I'll do as lieutenant governor. I'm I'm talking about having a shadow cabinet with hmm. experts from the community and, you know, have them advise me mm-hmm. and, and work together on issues of mobilizing the community so we have that that political force to get our statewide issues in place. Because without one, you know, I could be a, a good voice for the community. I, I know I have the principles and I, I, you know, anything I don't know about, I could learn about. But we need the force of numbers in order to pressure mm-hmm. the legislature mm-hmm. and pressure the, mm-hmm. you know, the regulators, the state regulators and those other executive offices. I, we don't know who's going to be governor and, you know, other executive positions. So as lieutenant governor, I want to 
mobilize people and learn from them and share my knowledge, and then we can for, uh, build that statewide force and get things done. I, I, I've seen it done on a smaller scale in Richmond. Those corporate uh, city council members who weren't budging when you had 35, 40 people from the community speak, come to an, uh, a council meeting and speak on an issue that I was introducing, all of a sudden they were, you know, they heard me, but it wasn't just me. There was 35, 40 people from the community speaking to the issue. And um, you, you saw their votes start to shift. Hmm. And so that's what I want to see in the legislature mm-hmm. when we have, you know, hundreds of people up and down the state, thousands, you know, having rallies, having press conferences, having marches, saying we need health care now, we need single payer, we need free college now, Mm -hmm. we need to tax those millionaires, and we need to ban fracking, and we need a public bank. You know, these are Mm -hmm. things we can mobilize around. And, um, you know, I want to do my part and and play a role and, 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 and make it happen. And to me, that's uplifting because I don't want to live knowing that I'm not doing my part mm-hmm. when I, I, I've had 12 and a half years of experience now. And I want to bring that experience to bear in this new role. Mm-hmm. It, it is true. It is really easy to get caught up in the darkness of what's happening mm-hmm. in yes. government <laughs> yes. right now. Yes. But it is also, on the other side, a really exciting time to be in politics yes. because people are awakened. Mm-hmm. They're like, wait a minute. What's going on? And they're suddenly paying attention. That's right. And I feel like our state is definitely ready for you, and we've been Uh, needing you uh, (laughs) desperately. Thank you so much. You know, um, you're absolutely right. It's really a ripe time for organizing. Mm -hmm. You know, it's it's a a a really dreary time, but the the silver lining, uh, you know, the core, the underneath of all of this is that people are ready. And wherever I go, people are are saying, you know, I'm I'm so upset. What can I do? You know, and I say, well, that's where you need to be. You need to say enough is enough. And once you say enough is enough, the next step is saying, I'm going to be the leader that I'm waiting for, Mm -hmm. whether it's a community Mm -hmm. leader or a candidate, um, whatever role, or an artist or a journalist. Mm -hmm. You know, all this is part of this movement building for a better society. Mm -hmm. So we all play a role and um, we have to keep playing it. Well, Gail, we're already voting for you. So. <laughs> well, I did have one question yeah. for you. So you, there's been a chronicle of your um, administration and your legacy called Refinery Town, mm-hmm. Big Oil, Big Money, and the Remaking mm-hmm. of an American City, mm-hmm. which is incredible. You say, oh, the changes in Richmond are small, but really they've been huge. You yeah. basically yeah. left your mark on that city mm-hmm. and changed it yeah. in a way that no other politician has. But there was a foreword written in this book by ah. someone by the <laughs> name of Bernie Sanders. Oh, yes. yeah, yeah. That, that, his name was Russians. on my list, too. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Who's this man? I don't know. I don't know. I've never heard of him. Right. Bernie, Explain. Okay. Bernie Sanders wrote the foreword to Steve Early's book. Steve Early wrote Refinery Town. He's a, an RPA member in Richmond mm-hmm. and uh, did a good job on the book. By the way, I have a, a book that will be out, too, in a few months. Oh, so maybe great. I can come okay. back when that's yes. out. Yes. Of course. It's, it's, you know, share, it's a lot of overlap with what Steve wrote, but it's in my voice. And since I was in the thick of it, you know, it tells it in a little different way. Um, but the issue of um, Bernie 
is that he came to Richmond in 2014. This was before he decided mm-hmm. to run for president. Mm-hmm. He came to Richmond, and myself and Jovanka Beckles and Eduardo Martinez were running for council, and he endorsed all three of us and uh, gave a wonderful speech as one of his usual you know, hour-long speeches, really mm-hmm. hammering away at social justice, economic justice issues in our auditorium, and it was really exciting. So I was glad to have his endorsement. And so when he decided to run for president, I I was a Green Party member at the time. And, mm-hmm. of course, he ran as a Democrat. And mm-hmm. it was clear to me that he was building enough of a movement, and it was growing and you know snowballing, that I wanted to be able to vote for him. So, um, But I didn't... I To me, both the Democrats and Republicans are corporate-controlled, although I fully support the fight within the Democratic Party. I think Mm -hmm. there's a real good fight going on within there. But I decided I wanted to still stay on the outside. So I um, changed my registration to no party preference. And no party preference um, individuals can vote on the Democratic ticket for president. Mm -hmm. So I was able to vote for him. And I stayed NPP. So now I'm uh, running uh, with a registration of no party preference. And I think that allows me to unite progressives, progressive Democrats, Green Party members. I was just endorsed by the Peace and Freedom Party. Um, Mm -hmm. So progressives of different stripes are are saying, hey, Gail, I like what you're doing. And um, but I've been really focusing on getting the endorsement of the Our Revolution groups. Hmm. I, Our Revolution is the organization that Bernie um, launched after he after the primary mm-hmm. to kind of keep the movement building going. And we have you know lots of them in California. Mm-hmm. And I have the endorsement of 31 Our Revolution groups already. Oh, good. Wow. That's more than any other candidate nationwide. Wow. So, wow. Yeah. So it's really really been that's what I've been doing with my travels you know going up and down the state visiting with a lot of these OR groups but other groups other progressive groups as well and um, that you know that work that Bernie did I think is something that really moved progressives forward you know nobody's perfect he Mm -hmm. wasn't perfect but for me, he, he moved things forward. I think the Occupy movement, actually, prior to mm-hmm. Bernie, set the stage mm-hmm. for it, too, because they were taken on Wall Street. Yep. And, mm-hmm. and so when Bernie started talking about wealth and equality and all that, you know, people were, were ready. It was clear. And, and so I want to—we were doing that kind of work in, in Richmond, too. Mm-hmm. So now my campaign is trying to build on that. You know, I've been called the Bernie Sanders of the East Bay. So (laughs) I say, all right, you know, I'll take that. But, you know, obviously I'm me, I have my own style. Mm -hmm. And um, I, you know, I think people are are, um, responding to me in a positive way. And I'm very grateful. Oh, well, we're Absolutely. grateful. We're so here. excited. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. And, and where can people find you on the interwebs, uh-huh. anywhere else? Yes, they can go to galeforcalifornia.org. And that's G-A-Y-L-E-F-O-R. And then the whole word california.org. Okay. And they can go there to find more information or to volunteer or donate. And uh, all these small donations add up and, mm-hmm. you know, for many individuals. So, um, and, you know, look me up on Facebook. I am, you know, one, I've got a lot of uh, Facebook friends and we're spreading the word far and wide, spreading this progressive message. And uh, we want to keep it going. 
Great. Well, so we'll see you in a few months when your book comes out. All right. All yeah, right. Yeah, let's do book signing. Yeah. Book we'll signing. Do, yeah. That's great. That's great. I'll give you the title just so you know. Okay. It's called Winning Richmond, How a Progressive Alliance Won City Hall. So great. it's kind of about the, the RPA and my role in, in all of that. Well, thank you so much. <laughs> so this is in our la- this is in our last podcast. With yeah, you. all right, part two. I'm yeah, forward to part two. You guys make it easy. <laughs> oh, thank you. Well, thanks so much for being here on Bitch Talk. Thank you, thank you, and thank you to everybody listening. That was Gail McLaughlin, who's running for lieutenant governor of California, and also probably one of our favorite politicians. Now we love Jane Kim. Yeah, obviously. Jane Kim, best friend of the show. Yeah, but best friend. Gail McLaughlin. I. As soon as she stepped into Ideal the studio, politician. yeah. As soon as she stepped in, there's just this aura around her, very calming presence. I felt like she was my auntie or something. Well, and also she's she's of the people. She yeah. lives in Richmond. She's been running the same place for I think it says I don't know as long as she's lived in Richmond. 2001, she, I think she moved to. Richmond. Yeah, she yeah. lives on the public servant salary, which is not much, you guys. Right. Blue collar family worked in the community, activists, yeah, nonprofits. She, she, all of she's that. your neighbor, yeah. literally. She's your neighbor. So, yeah. and check. she is very thoughtful in her approach to mm-hmm. government. And we need more thoughtful, empathetic <laughs> people with yeah, people taking a pause, maybe not on Twitter, and yeah. uh, talking with the people, not at the people. So that's Gail. We love her. We're voting for her, obviously. And um, you can check her out at her websites, galeforcalifornia.org. Um, you can email her at info at galeforcalifornia.org. Uh, she's on Facebook. She's on Twitter. And uh, and her just, book's coming out in March. Yeah, so we'll see her again in a few months. Hey, maybe basically. that'd be a good birthday gift for you. Yeah, it's coming up. Why are you <laughs> reminding me of my birthday already? What? Birthdays are exciting. Okay. Whatever. Anyways. Anyways. Moving on. I just want to give a little applause to Ange for that intro that she did. Yeah, me too. <laughs> it only took I don't three know why takes. I that it, only took, it only took hey, three Hey, man, you've never done it before. It's my first So intro. congratulations. So yeah, if you, if you don't remember what it sounded like, go back and listen to us again. <laughs> yeah, just start from the beginning. <laughs> and listen to her. Shar uh, maybe did a little editorial magic. Some things had to be cut out, but <laughs> they forced me into it, first of all, but it was fine. It was fine. Yeah, you just got to do it. Fine. Just like riding a bike or having... No. Anyways, just like riding a bike. (laughs) This is a very clean show, you guys. So anyways, uh, thanks for listening. Episode 242 of the podcast. Bitch, please.